Episode number two, Shalom. Today, the 17th day of the month of Shvat, 5780, means it's the 12th of February, 2020. This week's Torah portion, Jim? Parsha Yitro. Amazing Torah portion featuring the most significant monumental event in the history of the Jewish people and the history of mankind, which teaches us that God is very concerned with this world and that there could be a rendezvous between humanity and the divine. I refer, of course, to none other than the Sinai revelation, the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. And interestingly, this Torah portion is named for Moshe's father-in-law, who isn't Jewish, at least not to start with. So there's a lot going on here. Are we going to tackle the, the, the subject of uh, whether uh, a lot of controversy around this idea that, that Yitro uh, actually converted or did not convert? Are we going to talk about that today? We, de- we definitely shall. Okay. I'm, I've, definitely always, shall. I've always wondered about that because there's so much controversy about it. And I want to talk first about the background of who this man was. But first, I just want to say, Jim, because last week we kind of laid out some... I don't know some uh, crown rules or some or some uh, definition of what 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 this is all about, what it's all about. And you spoke very beautifully about your spiritual odyssey and your journey towards Torah and Hashem and your identification as a Noahide and some some of your past. And I, I think that one of the most beautiful things about the uh, the Parsha, and it being named after Yitro, uh, is, of course, the concept that, as we say in Jerusalem, it's Torah for everyone, that there is something here for everyone, that every person is called upon to forge a personal relationship with the Creator. And the Torah, being the manifestation of Hashem's will in this world, is basically the guide for... For our lives, you know, when, when we say Torah, uh, we're not just referring to the five books of Moses. We're not just referring to the 24 books of, of the Torah. We're not we're just referring even to any text, even though it's, it's practically uh, limitless when we think about the, the, the entire scope and breadth of, of, of Torah literature. But that's not even what we're referring to, although the word itself comes from Hora'ah, which means instruction. And teaching, it's more an understanding, it's more a way of life, it's more a, a concept of how to connect with the divine, how to, how to bring the light of Hashem into the world, how to elevate human existence. This is what we talk about when we, when we talk about finding ourselves in the Torah, really. Uh, obviously, there's a, a big, a big um, issue, a big question, how much of it is applicable to the whole world, and if, of course, we as Jews believe that the Torah is the blueprint of creation and the and Hashem's counterpart is for creation, then it can't just be something um, for us alone, for Israel. It has to be something that has a message, a vital message for the whole world. And I think that's part of what the character of, of Yitro himself conveys. I just want to tell you one thing before we go on. So Yitro was, is described in the first verse of our Parsha, chapter 18 of the book of Exodus, verse 1, as the minister of Midian, actually Kohen Midian, the priest of Midian. And according to our sages, Yitro uh, has quite a colorful past. He was actually 
First of all, I'll, I'll go all the way to the back, okay, or to the beginning of the story. The, the beginning of the story is that he actually was a high counselor of Pharaoh. Right. Not very, well, here's the, here's the thing. You know, remember when, when Pharaoh said in, um, in uh, Parshat Shmot, in the beginning of Exodus, let us come and deal wisely with him. And so that's when he had this, uh, this uh, commission where they decided basically about the final solution at that time or what they were going to do. And, uh, you know, first they, they um, tried to stop the birth rate and then they enslaved them and, and then they, they started killing all the males and they enslaved them. And this, this actually came from three, three exactly. of his counselors. Right. So, that, so according to the Midrash, there were three uh, personalities that were part of this uh, scheme. And they were Yitro. Right. Eov, Job, and Bilam. Yeah. And here's what the sages say. They say that each one of these three men had a different take on the situation when Pharaoh was asking for their advice. And basically, the architect of the final solution, uh, the, man, the, the, the person whose idea it was, was basically to destroy the Jewish people, was none other than Bilam. Yeah. Eov, Job, he basically remained completely silent. He was on the. He was sitting on the fence. Sitting on the fence, which yeah. is which is why all of the all of the travail was visited upon him. And again, this is a, this is a midrash, right? But um, Yitro fled from there. Yitro, he he just got right out of there. He left. He didn't want to have any part of it at all. You know, the thing, the thing that I've always... as it were, yeah. with, with Tzipporah's the, the thing that I've always wondered about is, is uh, do you think this is the fact that, uh, that Job sat on the fence and would not speak on, in behalf of, of uh, God's people, do you think this is why he went through the trials he, he later went Thank through? Thank you. That, that's the implication. That's, yeah. That's absolutely the implication. That, that, that's, and, and that's one of the things that really... And I think I tried to emphasize that also in our video presentation this week in Parsha Yitro. It's like standing up for the God of Israel. Standing up for Israel is standing up for the God of Israel. And the, the nations of the world did not accept the Torah. Only Israel accepted the Torah. But yet the nations of the world have a very powerful reciprocal relationship with all of Israel. There's a reciprocal relationship. And the way I described it in the video is that, is that Israel is responsible for keeping the commandments, but the nations of the world are responsible for aiding Israel and for following this, uh, the spiritual path that they're able to give over to the world. Well, I've got to tell you something also before I forget, Jim. You know what? There's a very famous midrash that everybody is aware of, that um, before God offered the Torah to Israel, he offered it to every nation in the world. That's right. I'm sure you're familiar with this. In fact, right? I, I heard it as a joke. It was actually told as a joke when I heard it the first time. Well, it's kind of funny, and it certainly is spun as a, as a children's uh, kind of um, parable, but it's, it, this is what the Midrash relates. And, of course, we have to have the understanding in general of how, how to relate to the teachings of the Midrash. Uh, and I described it again in this, in this week's Torah video as, as a poetic vehicle that is designed to have a very big impact on us, you know, kind of psychologically. But according to the Midrash, the uh, creator went around to all the nations, and he said, I have something very special that I'd like to give you. And each one of them said, well, what's in it exactly? 
and to each nation specifically, he described the the aspect that he knew would be hard for that nation to handle. Right. Whether 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 it was a partic- a nation that was particularly s- steeped in sexual immorality and desire or thievery or whatever. And so they said, no, 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 it's not for us. And then when he came to Israel, of course, famously, the response of Israel was Naaseh Vinishma. We will do and we will obey, which is a huge lesson because basically what Israel was saying was even if we don't understand completely, we'll still we still take it upon ourselves to obey. But what I wanted to say is, and I think this is just such a such a, an important idea for us to convey, we are living in a time today when there is an incredible spiritual awakening towards Torah that is felt uh, all over the world in the in the um, midst of the of the nations of the non-Jews. You know, I really believe two things. I believe that this is first and foremost a tikkun, a rectification of the, of this of this fact that you know the nations originally didn't want it. We didn't want the Torah, and as opposed to one might might thinking, you know, well, it's too late now. No, I th- I think that there's there's a global tshuva movement, really, uh, you know, a wave of 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 kind of like re-identification. And the nations are waking up to, to Torah, and, and part of that, the twinner aspect of that, is standing up for Israel, is, sta- is being, uh, you know, a, d- a defender of, of Israel as well. But the other thing, Jim, open up your heart in the deepest way, I really believe, and I'm, I'm not afraid to say this, I believe that all these souls that are waking up to Torah now in the non-Jewish world, I believe they were present at Mount Sinai. Yeah. I really do believe that. And so, that, and so, I think that what we're seeing now is an incredible phenomena of the, the connectivity of neshamot of souls that were at Mount Sinai, and and that are basically reverberating in a deep, deep place with with Torah. I got to tell you something. I mean, you know, again, another famous lesson that our sages teach is that the unborn child in utero learns the whole Torah before birth right. and uh, forgets it upon, upon entry into this world so that study, the study of Torah is like a deja vu experience and reconnecting with something that we already know on a deep primordial level. I believe that also applies to non-Jews because I believe that every person, what does it mean to know the Torah before you're born? It means to be connected to Hashem. It means to, it means to, to be part of the, of the whole, of the the tremendous uh, reality of, 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 the, of the one true God. And I believe that we're all coming from the same place. So the Parsha in chapter 18, verse 1, starts uh, introducing uh, Jethro, the minister of Midian, the high priest, the Kohen of Midian, the father in love Moshe, heard everything that God did to Moses and to Israel, his people, that Hashem took Israel out of Egypt. And uh, Moshe explains everything to him and Shethro rejoiced over all the good that Hashem had done for Israel, that he had rescued it from the land of, of Egypt. And then in verse 10, we have a very important verse. Verse 10 and 11. Yitro said, Blessed is Hashem who has rescued you from the hand of Egypt and from the hand of Pharaoh, who has rescued the people from under the hand of Egypt. And then verse 11 says, Now I know that Hashem is greater than all the gods, for in the very matter in which the Egyptians had conspired against them, Atayadati in Hebrew, now I know. So the sages teach that this moment when Yitro said, now I know that Hashem is greater than all the gods, this was like a huge, the greatest sanctification of Hashem's name that ever was because he should know. In other words, Yitro was this 
uh, connoisseur. He was his tremendous expert in every type of idolatry. He was like the Wikipedia of his time of idolatry. I don't know. He was like the absolute master of. When you say that, did he did he literally try these things or just study them? Is, do we have that from the sources? That was not clear to me. If mm-hmm. he if he actually was a dilettante, dabbled in all sorts of different types of idolatry, or if he actually was a uh, a master chef at every at everything. I don't know. But the point is, he was very accomplished in uh, in the in the realm of foreign gods. And this was a true and sincere uh, cleansing moment that he had. Like he really, really understood on the deepest level that only Hashem is God. And it was all through his hearing how Hashem uh, extricated Israel, his people, from Egypt and how he uh, wrought vengeance against the Egyptians. So he said, when I, now, I, now I know. So in other words, this is what the sages say. They say, you know what? For anybody to say Hashem is great, that's wonderful. But for Yitro... To say, now I know that he's greater than all the other gods, that was like the real thing. You know, this occurs to me that as a uh, counselor to Paro, he might have even been his religious expert. Ooh. And this is this is where he, he it was incumbent upon him to actually learn about all of the, the re- uh, religious beliefs of his day that were contemporary with the Egyptians. And uh, because he was the one that actually spoke up and said, well, wait, wait, you know, here, here's what I can tell you about these people when he when he defended uh, the Israelites against what they were about to bring upon them. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine what it takes the kind of um, the kind of strength of character, the kind of uh, courage, the kind of actually of um, guts that it takes for a person to admit that they made a mistake? Yeah. Um, I don't know, Jim. How do you feel about that personally? Was it when you came to the um, conclusion that Hashem is God, and you had been through so much, and you had been in a Christian cult and all sorts of things? I say oh. cult because you use the word cult. It wasn't just any church. It was like a real cult. Yeah. Was it was it something that was hard for you to own up to? I I can still remember vividly when I got into Torah, and one day I thought, wait a minute, I'm. Because when you're in that realm, you're, you know, I, I came out of what we call replacement theology. Replacement theology, if they don't, if our listeners don't know about it, is the idea that the church replaced Israel and that the, the, uh, the people who, who had accepted the New Testament had replaced Israel. And so suddenly you have to come out of the idea that, wait a minute, I'm not the fair-haired kid anymore? I, I just read, wait a minute, folks, I just read in chapter 4 of Exodus, uh, go tell Pharaoh, Israel is my firstborn. Wow. And I read that the first time, and I went, wait a minute, and, and there literally was a reckoning for me where, where I had to say, you know, Israel is my older brother and sister. And so it was, it, it, it was something that I had to deal with, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners who come out of that same... Uh, the journey, we, we had to reckon with the idea that uh, we, uh, I, I wouldn't say the word submit, but we have to have the, the humility to accept that you, Israel, uh, collectively are our teachers. Okay, here's the thing again about, about submission and humility, Jim. Uh, uh, it's, not a, it's not a popularity contest. It is, right. um, if I understand correctly, the, the replacement theologists, basically every time the word Israel is used, they substitute the church. And yeah. they say the church is the new Israel. Yeah, the mikvah is replaced but, by the baptismal fount, etc. But, but here's the thing when you talk about, about submitting to Israel, okay? In, in this parsha. 
in this parsha, Hashem says to Israel, says to, say, says to Moshe, say this to them. I'm about to give them the Torah, and Hashem says, and now, if you hearken well to me and observe my covenant, you shall be to me the most beloved treasure of all peoples, for mine is the entire world. You shall be to me a kingdom of ministers, Mamlechet Kohanim really means a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the children of Israel. This is all about responsibility. Being, being the kingdom of priests and the holy nation isn't, uh, I, I say, it isn't about the frequent flyers club. It isn't about, you know, like a secret access to like a, a lounge, you know. It is the ultimate sobering total responsibility for, for our actions, and for teaching the world that, that Hashem is here. So, so it, it is a total reciprocity, this relationship. And, yeah. and, and Israel being called upon by, by Hashem to be a holy nation, it's not about the privilege as much as it's about that we, the buck stops here. We are responsible for bringing the world to an awareness of who Hashem is. It is the real yoke of the Torah. I, I have friends in back, uh, I, I have friends in the States. They're, they're Jewish friends, longtime Jewish friends. They're not observant. And once in a while, they'll they'll ask me about being a Noahide, about saying that I look to the Torah, and I will I will turn it around and say, Do you realize that 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 God has has given you the task of teaching me about God? And they look at me like. I don't want the job. <laughs> so can I have a downgrade? <laughs> exactly. So it's it's uh, to to you know sort of address your original question about that. It really is. Once I realized that, I almost felt like uh, okay. I, I see what's on what's going on here with the responsibility that you've laid on Israel. I'm okay for that. I'm okay with that. You know, I'm. I. I, I want to embrace Torah. I want to keep studying it. But I've already. I've already seen now encountering the study of the Torah that I need the help of Am Yisrael to understand this book and these teachings. And you are responsible too. You are responsible well, for yourself. And and that's yeah. the thing about the Torah is that it's not just lip service. It's not just a, a mood or the way I feel about something. And that's the thing you were talking about, like the whole Noahide experience last week, and about and about you know like keeping the seven. And of course, the seven are very basic. And the truth is that they are an outline for for according to many commentaries and and many of the great uh, uh, rabbinical sources, they are an outline that includes many tens of mitzvot. And of course, according to the Rambam, uh, practically any of the mitzvot that a non-Jew would like to embrace, uh, he he may do so. And it depends on the person. And how they're they're comfortable, and you know how how, how much they want to embrace. Uh, the thing is, when you're talking about replacement theology, I think it's a form of anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. I, re- I really do. Yeah. Um, you know, when we were um, recently uh, a couple of visits ago in, in on a speaking tour in America, you know that we were teaching about the true location of the Temple Mount, and and Hillel Richmond, the archaeologist, had a whole presentation about. Which is refuting this inane notion that is all over the internet about how the temple is not located on the Temple Mount at all, right. but it's somewhere else altogether. And I realized, and I realize now, in the face of the of the onslaught of of this incredibly ridiculous, destructive, 
notion that it is a type of replacement theology to take something, to take a subject which is so totally Jewish and so totally based on Torah knowledge, which is the location of the temple in its proper place in the Temple Mount, and to say that the Jews got it all wrong... And, you know, just another example of how their, their, their eyes are veiled over and they don't know what they're talking about, they don't know where their own temple is. It's a, it's a type of yeah. replacement theology. Well, we both know, uh, and maybe a lot of our listeners know, that there is actually a law in Israel against missionizing. And I, I have told people that uh, I remind, you know, this is a big mantra of mine, is that Israel is a nation. And so I, I, I've, ta- I've talked to people who think that they, they need to change your mind about your relationship with God and that you need to embrace their, their Savior. And I, I tell people, I say, do you realize that you're actually, uh, this, is, this is akin to uh, telling someone that they need to quit, uh, an, an American, that they need to uh, deny their Constitution, that it has nothing to do with them, that it's uh, it's a constitution that uh, you, you need to come and you need to embrace our constitution. It's it's actually, uh, if you will, anti-Israel to, to tell a Jew that, uh, that they don't have a relationship with God through the Torah because the Torah is your, I've said it before, I'll say it again, it is your declaration of independence, your bill of rights, and your And indeed. it's the way to Hashem. Yeah. It's the way to Hashem. I believe it's the way to Hashem for, for every person, depending on their spiritual path. And again, here again, you're talking about being a Noahide and the spiritual path of the seven, and I'm saying that that can be expanded and, and that there's so much room for growth within, within that framework. But the idea is this, the main thing is action. The main thing is that, that the, the Torah for the Jew and for the Gentile is not a mental state. Mm-hmm. It is, uh, it, and I want to I say, first of all, that the Torah, which governs over the nation of Israel and which is the spiritual foundation of our lives, it's not a thing of its own creation. And if I may say so with a little drum roll, and tell me if I'm wrong, but Judaism is the only religion which is not man-made. It wasn't created by right. people. And, I, of course, I don't like to use the word Judaism because I, I like to use the word Torah precisely for the reason that you just mentioned because I agree with you. We are not a religion. We are a people. Amen. And we have, we have a way, and the way is the Torah, and the Torah was gifted to the people. And, um, and this is our responsibility uh, to bequeath to the nations the concept that the main thing about this relationship that we all have with Hashem is that in its very nature, it, is, it depends upon keeping a covenant. Is it the covenant of the seven? Is it the covenant of the 613? Is it the covenant of something in between? That remains to be seen. Is it about converting? Is it about not converting? None of, none of this is the issue. The issue is it's about action, and it's about making the world into a, a better place, not so that I can get into heaven, but because this can be heaven. <laughs> in other words, yeah. it, it just reminds me so much of the scene from uh, Field of Dreams, where um, Shoeless Joe asks uh, Kevin Costner, he says, uh, is this heaven? You know, when he builds the ballpark and he comes, mm-hmm. and Kevin Costner says, no, it's Iowa. <laughs> this is, this is as, good, as good as it gets. This world is a world that Hashem loves. And I, I mentioned that also in, in teaching this week on, on Yitro. Like, Hashem loves this world, and that's why he gave the Torah into this world. Mm-hmm. Anyway, 
Well, this this is what this is one of the things that uh, uh, a vital lesson for me personally uh, that you just mentioned the fact that it requires action, and I, I always like to think of the, the the sage sitting in a cave all day long, thinking beautiful, wonderful thoughts, thinking good thoughts, and uh, I remember telling uh, someone one day I said, you know, thinking good thoughts does not make you a good person. Doing good is what makes you a good person. You have to, your actions have to be good, not just your thoughts. And that's why so much of Torah is about interaction with people, about community, about relationships. Uh, we're going to have soon Parshat Mishpatim, mm-hmm. which was said over when the, the, the children of Israel are still at the foot of Mount Sinai, and it's part of the giving of the Torah, and it's about so many laws pertaining to, to justice and commerce and society and all sorts of things, and how to treat other people, because that's the measure of a person. Right. The measure of a person is not how much he bows before Hashem. You can live in an ivory tower and contemplate your navel or meditate and, and call that a religious experience, but if you're not challenged by, by relationships and by and by ethics in business and and everything else, then it's not real. Right. And getting back to your experience, which is so amazing, and and what it took for you to, you know, to be able to face the past squarely in the in the face and say, you know, I'm going on from here uh, in in Torah, and uh, of course Yitro, this was his whole thing here. He was the Kohen Midian, and he was the world's leader of idolatry. And then he said, Now I know. That uh, that Hashem is God, and that was such a great sanctification. You know, it sort of reminds me of someone very dear to me, who you know as well, a man who is is older in years now, and after having been a preacher for for over fifty years, you know, this this man who began to study Tanakh and began to ask questions about Hashem, questions that couldn't be answered, and began to to really see the truth of Torah. You know, this man one day stood up in front of his entire congregation, and a man already that that had been in that position for over 50 years, and he said to his congregation, you know, I've been lying to you my whole life Mm. about who God is. And that just takes so much courage and and strength and, like I say, guts to be able to do that kind of thing, and real humility. Mm. That's amazing. You know, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. Uh, we have in Psalms 110 and in Proverbs, and that that's what this is really all about. So um, Yitro, he was on Pharaoh's high commission. He hightailed it out of there, and he, and he merited through that to give over his daughter Tzipora to Moshe. Um... Before we talk about the, the the question of did he convert or didn't he, didn't he convert, I wanted to share with you a very interesting tradition that I bet you never heard because it's a bit uh, off the beaten path, but it's pretty amazing. And this is this is what uh, one midrash teaches us. Tell me if you ever heard this before. It tells us that the staff with which Moshe... Oh, I see you're nodding your head already. How do I see that if you're all the way in Arkansas? It's, the, it's this incredible software that we have. The staff with with which Moshe split the sea, Adam had that staff. Right. And he gave it over to his son Seth. Mm -hmm. And all the generations gave it over, one to the other. And when Yosef passed away, Yitro, who had been one of Pharaoh's astrologers, 
uh, grabbed it because he knew because uh, Yosef had it around laying around the court, I guess, and because Fer- and because Yitro knew how important it was, he took it. And this is the language of the Midrash. He planted it in his garden, and it took root there. And Yitro saw through his stargazing that whoever could pull it out would be the redeemer of Israel. And when Moshe came along, he stood there and pulled it out. And of course, you know what this story sounds like. It sounds like Excalibur. Incredible, yeah. right? And by the way, uh, I'm, I'm something of a amateur scholar and Arthurian legend. Uh, and um, there's a great deal about the mythology or the historicity of King Arthur that has its roots in the Davidic line, the Davidic tradition, the Davidic uh, understanding. But yes, it's a pretty amazing how this Midrash, which predates the Arthurian legend by how long? Centuries. Many, many centuries. Yeah. Is is basically along the same lines of, of Excalibur, yeah. the sword that only Arthur was able to pull out of the anvil. But what does it really mean is what interests me. Yeah. Because I, th- I think the concept of the staff of Adam really represents a spiritual legacy. Again, these things are not to be taken literally. And uh, it's important to, and I say this, I've said it so so far today so many times, and I said it in our video teaching as well, it's important to have the, the intellectual vessels to understand that the sages speak in metaphor as well. And not every midrash is to be interpreted literally. And I think that this is conveying to us an idea that there was a spiritual uh, tradition Legacy, also one that bespeaks responsibility, that was given over uh, through the generations, a knowledge of Hashem. And uh, around the time of uh, the Egyptian uh, exile, it got stuck. It got stuck somewhere, and it was on. Ho- it was on hold, and it was. It was Moshe who was able to um, reconnect with that that knowledge, that that uh, tradition. He had the humility. He had the character. Uh, Hashem saw that early on, um, and he he was the one. He was the one who was chosen to fulfill this role. Yeah, I know the, uh, some of the other sources say that uh, uh, he was praying in, in Nitro's garden, and he saw the rod. And there had been a proclamation of some kind that anyone who could pluck the ground, the rod from the ground, would get uh, a Zephora. Oh gosh, that's literally a literally a mirror of the Arthurian yeah, language. It, it, it says, I think I read it in Mam Loez, uh-huh. and it says that um, uh, that there was a proclamation that said that anyone who could withdraw the the rod from the ground. Uh, would two things would happen that uh, he he would win Zephora's hand in marriage, and that Yitro would know that he would uh, be the deliverer of Egypt, of and, Israel. And uh, I'm I'm sorry, hello, uh, deliver them out of Egypt, and that um, that the rod itself was inscribed with the name of Hashem, and that it had acronyms for each of the ten strikes, the ten plagues, and that. Uh, uh, dis- yes, I have a, heard this. I definitely heard this. That he, he would place that Moshe Rabbeinu would place his his hand on that acronym for that particular pl- uh, uh, plague, and it would it would begin to happen. So you mean it was an app? <laughs> it was it was a touch a touch keypad app. There you go. Okay. Yeah. But Jim, why Yitro? In other words, let's say that I'm right that this 
idea of the staff being firmly planted, having been handed down all the way from the time of Adam, represents a certain kind of spiritual continuity which Moshe was to take up. But why was it? Why was Yitro the one? Why was Yitro the one that was in his garden, which actually segues into a question that I think you had? Yeah, yeah. I, this is something that I've been pondering ever since we began talking about this parsha. So consider this. Moshe Rabbeinu is at Har Sinai. Uh, Hashem is speaking to him from, from the, the burning bush and basically gives him his mission and, and tells him, you know, this is who you are, this is what you'll do, and, and provides him with, with the direction along the way, tells him how to perform the, the plagues by using the rods, says, what is that in your hand? And he, he, we know the sages tell us, and even the Torah tells us, that, that he's the only human being that God spoke directly through and to. So suddenly, here they are, they're encamped in the wilderness, and Moses is faced with, with giving counsel to the tribes, and Hashem sends a man to counsel Moses. Right. Why? Suddenly, why did God not speak to? Why, why didn't God say to Moses, "You're going to tire yourself hey, out"? Hey, God, right? Like, what? What is this? You're standing. You're sitting yeah. all day, and the people are standing, and you're, you yeah. don't have a minute's rest. Why, why? First of all, why didn't he realize it on his own? Second of all, why through the agency of Yitro? Yeah, this was a, a major accomplishment that Yitro uh, achieved. Was able to um, establish this system for for Moshe, which really became the basis uh, of the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin, exactly. Well, you know, first of all, I think this demonstrates, again, the, the irrevocable uh, reciprocity between Israel and the nations. I mean, the, and, and the truth is, to some degree, can't you say that this was basic common sense? Yeah. Derech Eretz Kadmal Torah, the sages say, that Derech that, Eretz, um, which basically means... Com- common sense and, and yeah. the basic wisdom is a prerequisite, a prerequisite for Torah. And I think that this teaches us that, first of all, we have to learn from all people. Second of all, that, there, that the input of Yitro as a non-Jew was um, absolutely imperative. And, you know, I, I, can, I can see you and raise you and ask you another question. Why did Moshe have to grow up in Pharaoh's house? Oh well, I uh, to because me that makes he perfect. Something there. That to me always made perfect sense because it seems to me that all of the great leaders of the Tanakh, uh, they God didn't just suddenly bestow upon them instant wisdom, and it is that they were prepared for the role. Avram Avinu was prepared for it. If you look at his life, and you look, you have to look, of course, to the to the other sources uh, that that, uh, that the sages give us. But to me, it made perfect sense for for a man who literally had to lead a brand new nation to grow up in a palace where he saw a, a, a king. Who, uh, by the way, of a nation of that day was the leader of, of, of the nations. It was the world power of its day. So Moses was witness to how power is, is, uh, is used and also misused. So to me, that really did prepare him very much for the job. And again, if we look to the other sources offered to us by the, the sages, we see that when he fled from uh, Egypt after uh, he slew the Egyptian, uh, some of our sources say that he went to Ethiopia and he literally became a, a, a captain and then a general of the, of the forces of Cush and learned how to... Uh, 
you know, uh, literally map out battles mm -hmm. and, and use the wisdom that God gave him. And I think all this shows us that we don't check our brain at the door when we, we enter to the realm of Torah. God God doesn't want us to come from a place of, of oh, I, that feels wrong or it feels bad. No, we have to have the knowledge that, that something is bad or good. And, and I think it also speaks to um, the humility of Moshe Rabbeinu. He could have easily said, well, who are you? I, God talks to me. So who are you, Yitro? And it took tremendous humility and common sense for Moses to go, you know what, Yitro, you're, you're right. It's like a V8 moment. Like, yeah. Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> exactly. I actually think also, Jim, that um, there's something else about Moshe growing up in Pharaoh's uh, palace, uh, which you have to really open up your heart in the deepest way for, because it is very, very deep, and that is that um, he grew up as an outsider. Yeah. And this is something that you find uh, a little bit, this idea, in uh, it's a bit esoteric. You have to, you have to appreciate it, that... Uh, you know, when, you, when you're growing up as an outsider, as if I may, as a balchuva, it's coming from the outside, you have a different appreciation uh, of um, the nation and the nation's needs. Uh, Rabbi Akiva, for yeah. example, was not only uh, the descendant of a, of a convert, but he was also a balteshuva, someone who didn't grow up uh, religious. Um, so there's, that's something interesting also to note. Uh, you can't a, have compassion unless you understand what other people go through. Right, and unless you've been around the block and you understand... Right. Uh, Walk a mile in my shoes, right. that kind of thing. Exactly. Um, so that's all, that's all very, very compelling. But yeah, that, that's, that's one answer to, to the question that you posed that I would uh, offer is that, is that he had a certain degree of common sense and that this was something that he had to receive from, from Yitro, who also uh, obviously was even more of an outsider, but that, but that this is the direction that this wisdom is taking. And, and I want to offer you another, another thought that I think is amazing. Um, don't you see in Yitro's advice a reflection of, an outgrowth of, a manifestation of the Noahide commandment to establish courts of justice. Exactly. exactly. I mean, that's the yeah. seventh of the Noahide commandments. Um, the world has to, be, has to be just. And so, and so that was uh, something that could be attributed totally to Yitro. Yeah, and Yitro had seen this kind of, he saw how government works by being in the court of Paro. And obviously... He was one of those people who, would, you know, from everything we can see about this, this father-in-law, Moshe Rabbeinu, is that he understood the right way to run a country and the right way to, to counsel people. So, yeah, thank you. I mean, you, you've opened it up for me in a way that I never even thought of before, you know. So uh, I, I, I think I now am beginning to see, because it was such a mystery to me, suddenly it's almost like God was silent and... and and uh, he allows he allows this man of great wisdom, and, and ultimately God acquiesced to the idea that, yeah, that Moshe that's had accepted. And yeah. basically, Yitro was saying to him, "If you if the idea finds favor in your eyes and you get approval for it, uh, it's it's very very amazing thing." And, and as far as this whole question is concerned, you know, Yitro, what was his status afterwards? Did he did he convert? Did he remain Noahide? Um, he didn't stay. 
Yeah. And it was Moshe himself, I'm reading here in chapter 18 and verse 27, Moses sent off his father-in-law and he went to his land. And many of the classic commentators, Rashi mentions that he went to convert his family. Uh, um, and I think if I, if I can... That may not be literal. It, yeah. it may mean that he went to share his knowledge of, of the one God. Um, interestingly... He has descendants that we read about in the first chapter of Shoftim, of Judges. Well, I think this is um, a good place not to digress, you know, while, while you're, you know, thinking about that. I wanted to suggest something that, as a sidebar, that one of my favorite things about the aspect of, of, of Yitro returning to his own land is one of the biblical proofs from the Torah that uh, Sinai is not located in the land of Midian because a lot of people who, who tried to track the trail of the Israelites through the desert from Egypt all the way through Sinai, they, they, often say, they often say that Sinai is in Midian. Well, I can't find that the Torah supports that. First of all, they're camped in the wilderness of Sinai when, he, when the two of them meet and he gives him this wonderful advice. And then after that, he says he leaves and returns to his own land. So if, if, if Sinai is in Midian, he would have already been in his own land. And the other thing is, is that it, I think it's in either the book of Numbers or is it in Deuteronomy, where it, it tells the, all the locations that the camp of Israel stayed. Numbers, right. Yeah. There's no listing of Midian right. in that list. So there are two different parts of the Torah that, that support the idea that, that uh, yes, there was a Midian, and yes, there was a Sinai, but never the twain shall meet. They weren't. In fact, it says, I, I believe that Sinai was on the, the west or the backside of Midian, something like that. So anyway, that was, that's one of my little pet peeves that I think that the Torah answers. So I just wanted to say in, in, in chapter 1 of Judges, where it talks about the conquest of the land of Canaan, in, in verse 16, we read about the children of the Canaanites, Moses' father-in-law, the verse says, ascended from the city of Date Palms, which of course is Jericho, Jericho yeah. with the children of Judah to the wilderness of Judah that is south of Arad. They went and settled with the people, and these were people that were aligned with Judah, that were friendly and allies of Judah. They were the descendants of Moshe's father-in-law. They were called the children of the Canaanites, and they were not Jews. They were a separate people. So according to this verse and this tradition, and there's other verses also that speak about them, they were, they were clearly identified as the descendants of Yitro, but they were not considered to be Jews. So did he convert or not? I don't know for sure. And this also is a, is a reflection of the question that we, the statement that we're making regarding how it's such a personal decision for, for uh, all people to make. But the, but the issue is, the main thing is action. The main thing is developing a relationship with Hashem based on action based on responsibility based on the the greatest advice that the Torah gives us which is the mitzvot mm-hmm. the mitzvot that wh- whether or not these are those set of mitzvot are applicable to to all people is another question I, I wonder uh, if I may be so bold uh, what is your opinion do you think he converted or do you think he converted later or do you think he converted at all I don't think that he did, no. I think I don't he, think I, he did I, either. I think you know he, why? 
It's, it's this whole thing again. This is this is the thing about Israel being a nation. If if you if, if a person comes to America, and says, you know what, I, I'm going to go visit my relatives in America, and they get excited about the way they live and about their laws. Uh, they would they would, <clears throat> and I think I think that to be to be uh, you know halakhically a Jew, you have to convert to Torah, and. You 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 have to. Of course, they hadn't gotten to the land of Israel. But to, to my thinking, if he had converted, he, especially being the man of wisdom and logic that he was, if he would understand the Torah and its ramifications of observance, he would have said, "Well, to to be a Jew, I have to live in the land of Israel. So I'm going to have to throw my lot in with these people, and continue on with them for the founding of this of this land. And if 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 and that's my that's my own opinion that he didn't convert, and that he that he was a, a Noahide, a wonderful uh, representative of Noahide. This may also be the reason that Hashem says I'm going to let this man, a, a human being, uh, speak to to Moshe Rabbeinu and give him advice. It's almost a way of in, endorsing uh, a righteous Gentile and their worth to Hashem. That he that a righteous Gentile would come and God would say yes. His wisdom and his counsel is is very acceptable, and you should follow it. And that's the bottom line. Also, we're talking this week about the Torah. We're talking every week, every week about the Torah. Torah for everyone. We're talking about the Masonic revelation, the giving of the Torah, and it's um, being bequeathed to Israel as Israel's responsibility, and Israel being called upon to be the role model to bring the Hashem's light into the world for, for all people. And I think that this week's Torah portion of Yitro, this is the bottom line, should be particularly inspiring to everyone, Jews and non-Jews, Jews because this is their legacy and this is their identity and this is such an incredible calling for them to be... Uh, given the responsibility of being a kingdom priest and a holy nation and everything that, that entails. And for all those non-Jews who love and fear Hashem, the special message conveyed by the personality, by the history, by the character of Moshe's father-in-law, Yitro, and the very fact that such a central Torah portion um, is named containing after. the giving of the, of the Torah is named after a righteous gentle. This alone shows us, Jim, that every single person has a, pers- a portion in Hashem's Torah. Amen. Now, Today, we hear a lot of controversy about the question of how much of the Torah is applicable to Gentiles. And different rabbis and others also within the Noahide community have varying opinions. And some people, by the way, don't like the label Noahide. They prefer to call, them, they prefer to call themselves either righteous Gentiles or God-fearers or whatever. What's in a name? Names, names can be very uh, divisive, divisive as well. And some people don't like to use any names. And the idea is um, the controversy over how much of the Torah is applicable has caused a lot of confusion. And there are many sincere people, I'll call them sincere Noahides, who get caught in the crossfire of people who might be promoting their own agendas. I don't know. And these various names and labels that some groups have made into a contentious issue has created, in my opinion, a fabricated, unnecessary identity crisis in the minds of many innocent, God-fearing people. I think you know exactly what I'm referring to. There's a certain kind of... uh, 
thing going on about about this label, about this name. And in my opinion, the bottom line is any person who loves and fears Hashem knows exactly who he or she is, doesn't have to be in crisis. And uh, and that's my position that I want to I want to repeat and state clearly: the Torah is universal and accessible to all. And every human being who seeks a relationship with God must have a covenantal relationship with Him. And it's, it has to be based on action. The path of the 613 mitzvot is obligatory upon Israel. The path of the seven mitzvot is obligatory upon all people. And again, once again, the spiritual life of a non-Jew does not have to be limited to these seven mitzvot. They're, they're a starting point. Those who wish to delve deeper into Torah study and observe additional commandments that they find meaningful are encouraged to do so. But of course, it's important to seek guidance as to how best to fulfill the commandments and how best to understand the Torah. And that's why a person has to have a rabbi. But the goal for all of us is to seek out Hashem in every aspect of our lives and to be the best people that we can be. And if you, I think, if again, if, if you doubt that uh, it, it uh, that it, it doesn't hurt to have a rabbi teach you the Torah, or at least to to lead you the way. I always, uh, again, I point people to uh, Zechariah eight twenty three. When ten men of the nations uh, of, of ten different tongues grab the the corner, which sounds to me like the the seat seat mm-hmm. of of a, a Jew's garment, and says, "Take us with you." Uh, because we have seen that God is with you. I think that is a, a sort of gives a mandate for people to look to the, to the Jewish uh, people. And honestly, the mandate starts right here in this yeah. Torah portion. When Hashem informed Moshe that Israel is to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, it means that Israel is responsible to teach the whole world how to serve Hashem and to take upon themselves responsibility. And, and I, you know, every day and everything that I've ever taught and in, in every communication and every in every conversation practically that I have with anyone I always use this word you know responsibility ad nauseum because it is something that is neglected in many other shall we call them religions or disciplines there's a, there is actually theologically um, a, a theologically mandated abrogation of responsibility mm-hmm. for some people because they say that well there's nothing that you can do anyway and you don't have to do anything because it was all fulfilled for you but the fact is the bottom line of Torah is to take responsibility for one's own actions it's, it's, it is inescapable yeah. the fact that we are are responsible for our for our uh, choices and and that the and that the foundation of creation is free choice is to be able to ib- illuminate by choosing good over over evil and um and I want to add to that that um even if anyone listening to this podcast says well you know I I don't really want to go the direction you guys are talking about but I am interested in the history of 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 Israel and of the Jewish people and I want to be able to understand when I open up the Tanakh well then by all means ask a Jew ask a rabbi and, and I, I have a, a chapter in one of my books. I say, if you want to know about the ancient Chinese, don't ask the Irish. <laughs> <laughs> and that's nothing against either of those people. Jim, please tell our listeners what book you're referring to. Um, uh, tell our listeners. Minor plug, it's called The Riddle of the Exodus. Uh-huh. And the reason I wrote it is because I wanted to know about the Exodus, and I, I decided not to ask a minister. I said, I'm going to ask the people who experienced the Exodus. I want to see what their sources say. So for a, a, a non-Jew, a scholar who's a non-Jew, to position themselves as, as knowing more 
than the Jewish people know about their own experience, to me, is, is the, the height of arrogance. And, and uh, you know, stone me for saying that, but the point is, is that by, it, it was a, a Jewish scholar that showed me what, what I believe was the truth of the Exodus experience mm-hmm. and, and pointed it out to me and, and in a way that had never been opened up to me before because he showed me the passages in the Torah that I, didn't, that I thought I understood, but I didn't grasp the full meaning of, of, of those phrases and those words. And, uh, this is exactly how I feel about the whole Temple Mount controversy, how totally arrogant it, it is for yeah. others to um, interpolate their particular agenda on the Jewish people and an idiosyncratically Jewish subject saying, we've got it all wrong, we don't know where the Temple is. Yeah. I, well, I'll give you a, a quick example. My acid test, my litmus test for any scholar... Uh, who says he wants to talk about the reality of the Exodus experience. And, I, and I, there are people I admire who are professors on this. The minute they open their mouth and say, uh, we want to look at the 400 years that the Jews spent in the land of Egypt. I know they haven't done their homework. Because you can ask a nine-year-old yeshiva kid how long his ancestors were actually in the land of Egypt, and they'll tell you, oh, that's simple, 210 years. Because uh, you can actually open up the book of Exodus, Shemot, chapter 6, and if you add up the ages of Moshe Rabbeinu's uh, father and grandfather, and uh, if, if you start with Levi and, and Kohath, and then Amram and Moses, if you add up the years given that they all lived, it comes short of 400 years. And that's right there in the text. Mm-hmm. So, and again, this is one of the things, you know... Hashem, you know what the sages teach, that the 400... He started counting as a chesed. It, Hashem has compassion, so he was counting from the birth of Yitzchak. But the Yitzchak. actual years that we were there was 200, 210. Yeah, yeah. And you can actually do the math, and you'll come up with that every time. So, uh, and this is one of the things... That, this shows you how God draws everyone to Torah by, by appealing to the things that... Uh, uh, that appealed to them, mm-hmm. and it was always it was always the history of Israel and the antiquity of Israel that I was drawn to. So this is why I, you know, ended up. It was my path to Torah, mm-hmm. so to speak. And then, of course, you know, Baruch Hashem, uh, thank God, it opened up even more avenues of, of learning for for me. And that's the bottom line again. Hashem's Torah is for all humanity. And Hashem's love is all-inclusive, and everyone, Jews and non-Jews, have an integral part of Hashem's plan for the redemption. So thank God you found your way to the Torah. I hope many Jews find their way to the Torah, and you are living living proof of the resurgence of non-Jews coming to the Torah in our generation, which, like I say, is a, uh, clearly a tikkun, a fixing of the historical rejection of the Torah by the nations. And the fact that you love Hashem and His Torah proves that your soul was at Mount Sinai, and that goes for everyone who feels the same way. And uh, you are also an inspiration to the Jewish people to learn more I, about I, who they're supposed to be in this world. I, w- I would interject here that uh, one of the questions that many of us uh, have, have often asked is, uh, how many are there of you? 
How many of you non-Jews have discovered the, the seven laws and have discovered the Torah and, and come to it? And I always have the same answer. I don't know. But what I do know is ever since I became what I lightly refer to as a card-carrying Noahide when I embraced the, the Sheva Mitzvot, the, the, uh, the number of people I've met who have come to, uh, who've left behind these old ideas of, of, a, of a man-made religion and embraced the, the teachings of the Torah, uh, they are growing exponentially. They're, and, and they're coming out of the woodwork all the time. So uh, I would say to my Jewish friends, get ready. <laughs> but bone up on your Torah because there's a lot of there's a lot of non-Jews who want to know about your Torah and they want to know. You know, you know how um, Chabad um, has emissaries all over the place sure, in sure. all the f- sorts of far-flung places, whether it's Kathmandu or so the little, littlest town in in um, you know the heartland of America. We have, we have a Chabad in Arkansas. There you go. <laughs> um, so many Chabad rabbis have told me. You know, and they're, and they're there really for the for the lost Jewish souls, and not only to gather up this, the Jewish souls, but to be there also to to um, be welcoming and to be a, a way station and a help for 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 all Jews. But so many have told me that you know there might not be that many Jews in their area, but they have so many inquiries from non-Jews that yeah. you, you know, and. Um, it's a it's a very powerful force that you know that they're dealing with that they see that there's such an incredible outpouring of interest in the non-Jewish world. We're just about out of time, I wanna I wanted to mention that if our listeners would like to write in and um, sound off, especially if they have questions about practical application of the things that we're talking about. Uh, Noahad Halacha, there are so many questions that non-Jews have about how they should properly observe the commandments, the Torah, what part is applicable to them, so many issues about uh, family life and, and, and things that come up. They can do that through our website, www.rabbirichmond.com, and uh, we'll be pleased to um, read their emails and... and um, as we used to say in radio, folks, keep those cards and letters coming in. And that's, that, that will be a, a part of our program. Sure. And I hope that our listeners also will uh, take the opportunity to watch our video on our YouTube channel on Parsha Yitro, because the main event in the Torah portion, of course, is the actual Sinai revelation, the giving of the Torah, about which we speak extensively, uh, and especially its universal Understanding and application of what it what it's really all about—that important event that changed the shape of history for all people. Right. Well, I look forward to seeing you at, at our individual microphones uh, again next week. And Jim, it's been wonderful here on Jerusalem Lights with you. And I want to wish all of our listeners a wonderful Shabbat. And thank you for being with us, and thank you for listening to Jerusalem Lights Torah for everyone. Amen.